This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Well, a blessed Advent 4 to you all. We have an exciting week ahead of us. And here on the last Sunday in Advent, we're finishing our Advent series about four people who model for us what it looks like to say yes to God. And this morning, we turn our attention to Matthew's Gospel, the second chapter, and the story of Joseph. So I've always been drawn to the character of Joseph. So it was a real treat for me this month to spend some time reflecting and praying and thinking about Joseph. In fact, our first child's name is Joseph. Um, and as a side note, our second child's name is Zechariah, Zachariah John. So the Williamsons, you might say, love Advent and Christmas. So in this series titled Saying Yes to God, what you may never have noticed is that Joseph in the Bible never speaks. He has no song of praise like Mary and her Magnificat or Zechariah and his Benedictus. He has no prophetic utterance like Elizabeth's when she greets Mary. We don't even hear Joseph ask for directions on the way to Bethlehem. He never speaks. So I was certainly struck by the irony of highlighting a man who never speaks in a series about saying yes to God. But of course, there's also something so beautiful in how Joseph indeed says yes with his actions and with his life by his immediate obedience to what the Lord tells him to do. And the Lord asked Joseph to do hard, sacrificial, and hidden things. So this morning, I want to explore with you Joseph's readiness to say yes with the hope that we can apply it to ourselves. That in seeing the way Joseph is ready amidst life-altering circumstances, we can apply it to our own readiness to say yes to God in the circumstances of our own lives. But first, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, this morning, we marvel at the incredible vulnerability of our Lord Jesus in his incarnation. We marvel that the mission of the Son of God, the Savior of the world, depended at moments on the faith of a carpenter from Nazareth. Lord, we pray that you would teach us this morning from Joseph's righteous example. Encourage us by the way you guided him, prepared him, and the way that you provided for Joseph, Mary, and Jesus at every turn of their journey. That our faith, Lord, might be strengthened and we might be made more ready to say yes to you with our own lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So the last time that Rez had a sermon on Joseph was the fourth Sunday of Advent, 2007. So I went down into our warehouse and I rummaged through a case of old sermon CDs and I found it. Um, CDs are these small discs. <laughs> People used to store data on them and I think it involved like a laser or something. But anyway, 
The preacher that Sunday was Father Rudy Hines, a beloved priest of resurrection for many years. And his sermon was a huge blessing to me in my preparation. So I have a few Father Rudy quotes for you during the sermon this morning. So we don't know too much about Joseph because none of the gospel writers spend that much time on him. He is not mentioned in the Gospel of Mark. There's one passing reference to him in the Gospel of John. And of course, you all know that Luke has the most extensive coverage of the Nativity story, but Joseph is largely a sideline figure in Luke's telling of the Nativity. So it's only Matthew who gives us more extensive coverage of Joseph. We learn from the first chapter in Matthew's Gospel, the lineage that he has there in chapter 1, that Joseph was in the family line of King David. So this, Matthew is telling us, is where Jesus can claim his legal right as king of the Jews through the lineage of, of his adoptive father, Joseph. But Joseph is no king or lord, as Father Brett talked about last week. The Jewish people had not had a king of their own for almost 600 years. And in that time, they were under the rule of various empires, and the current one was the Romans. Instead, Joseph is working as a carpenter. This is probably the best explanation for how Joseph ended up in Nazareth, because he had found work in this rather insignificant, forgettable little town that's never even mentioned in the Old Testament. And that is where we find Mary and Joseph at the beginning of the story. And in this passage this morning, I think we see the Lord preparing Joseph, actively making him ready with what I would call a two-part challenge or a two-part test. So we're going to break down our passage in Matthew this morning in this way. I believe we see in verses 18 and 19, we see Joseph's character tested. And then, starting in verse 20 through 23, we see Joseph's faith tested. His character tested and then his faith tested. And then, in the last two verses, starting in 24, we see Joseph ready to say yes. And we'll explore a little bit about what the Lord was making him ready for. So first, looking at verse 18 and 19, Joseph's character is tested. So as Joseph and Mary awaited their impending marriage, something shocking happened. Mary is found to be with child. In the Gospel of Luke, we learn that the angel Gabriel visits Mary and tells her that though she is a virgin, she will bear a son by the Holy Spirit, who will be the eternal king of the Jewish people. And Mary was ready to say yes to God even though it left her in a very vulnerable place. She was at risk of public shame and disgrace. And now her fate largely depends on how Joseph will react to the news that she's pregnant. In first century Jewish culture, when a man and a woman were engaged, engaged it was essentially the same thing as marriage, except for their physical coming together. And it required a divorce to dissolve an engagement. So how in the world would Mary tell this to Joseph? What would she say? Um, Joseph, I need to tell you something. 
I think you might want to sit down. You see, I'm pregnant. Now, it's not what you think. I'm still a virgin. I've been faithful. You see, the baby is from the Holy Spirit. As many times as you rehearse that one, it comes out sounding a little crazy. It seems more likely that she didn't tell Joseph. Matthew's language seems to imply um, that she was found to be with child. She started showing the physical signs of pregnancy. So Mary and her child are now in a very vulnerable position. The Lord has put Jesus' life inside of Mary's body, but he has also put Mary's life in Joseph's hands. That little phrase there in verse 18 lays out Mary's plight. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. The physical reality was plain to see. The spiritual reality was invisible. And it was the difference between Mary being an unfaithful wife or one who was highly favored by God. So it seems clear, and most likely, is that Joseph believed Mary had been unfaithful. And it was here where Joseph's character was tested. It's important to bear in mind that the law actually would require Joseph to divorce Mary if the child was not his own. If Mary had been unfaithful, then she was an adulteress. And what pain and sense of betrayal and embarrassment Joseph must have felt. Now, while the law said an adulterous woman could be stoned to death, that was not the practice in first century Israel. But Joseph could have publicly shamed Mary. He could have demanded his dowry money back. He could have left her branded publicly for the rest of her life. He could have felt justified in his actions and likely affirmed by his community. But Matthew tells us that Joseph was a just man and he was unwilling to put Mary to shame. So he resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph had the opportunity to seek vindication, to pursue a self-righteous justice campaign against Mary. But... As Father Rudy put it so beautifully in his sermon, Joseph's righteousness was deeper and more profound than simply observing laws and customs. Now, God could have also made it a little easier on Joseph. He could have sent an angel way earlier to tell Joseph about Mary's pregnancy before she started showing. That would probably have saved him a lot of heartache and pain and internal wrestling. But in that waiting and that wrestling, Joseph's character was being tested. So perhaps as you look and see Joseph's character, the thought comes to you, I don't know that I'm much like Joseph at all. If the Lord requires a man or a woman with that sort of character, I'm not really sure how much use I'll be to him. So, a couple of quick pastoral words. First, let's remind ourselves that Joseph was not perfect. 
if he was anything like me, his flaws probably started showing when he opened his mouth and started speaking. Matthew doesn't call Joseph perfect. He calls him righteous. He calls him just. Joseph's choice wasn't between so much righteousness and sin in general, but specifically between true righteousness and self-righteousness, between an act of mercy or an act of vindication. And Jesus himself showed a deep love in his ministry for those who knew that they were sinners, who knew that they needed a savior. And Jesus saved his greatest rebuke for the self-righteous, for those who were too proud to humble themselves, to repent and see Jesus for who he really was. If you're humbled by Joseph's character, remember this morning that humility in the kingdom of God is where all good character development begins. Joseph wasn't perfect. He was humble. So that's the first pastoral word. Here's the second one. The Lord didn't ask Joseph to go it alone. And he doesn't ask that of us either. God's Spirit was going to guide Joseph. Keep in mind that even though Joseph's character was impressive, he was about to head in the wrong direction. He was not going to go through with the marriage based on the information and the expectations that were in front of him. Joseph's good character wasn't enough. He needed a word from the Lord. And what a reminder to us that we too, regardless of how righteous we might appear, will fall, will, we will falter apart from God's Spirit speaking to us through his word. Of course, Joseph had the scriptures, and I think he likely knew them well. The devotion to the law that he shows in Luke's gospel reveals a man devoted to the Hebrew scriptures. I think we might actually be embarrassed if we knew the amount of scripture that this poor carpenter had memorized and internalized compared with us. But of course, the story was still unfolding. The fullness of God's word was being revealed right in front of Joseph. So Joseph needed a word from the Lord in order to choose the right path. And what a gift that we have in our hands the full revelation of God's word right now. So live under the fullness of God's word. Don't just choose the parts that seem good or simply trust your good intentions apart from God's word. The more we know and trust God's word, the more we will hear his spirit speaking to us. It's how he guides us. It's how he makes us ready. And it's how he made Joseph ready, by his word. Because Joseph's character had been tested and proven. And now, looking at verse 20, the word of the Lord comes to Joseph and it tests his faith. So Joseph's decision, as we said, was noble with the information that he had. But now, the word of the Lord comes 
in a dream. And it's a massive shifting point in Joseph's life. And the Lord, he doesn't make it easy on Joseph because unlike Zechariah and Mary, an angel does not come to Joseph in broad daylight, but in this dream. So if you're anything like me and you've ever experienced a dream that you thought might be from the Lord, then you know what it's like and how challenging it is when you wake up the next morning. Did that really happen? Am I making it up? Was that the Lord or was that the extra sushi roll I had last night? Joseph's faith is being tested. If the dream is real, then the same decision that seemed so noble when he went to bed would now be in direct disobedience to what the Lord was telling him to do. So what does Joseph believe? Does he believe what's real and tangible? Mary is pregnant and he is not the father. Or does he, as Father Rudy put it, believe a promise that flies in the face of all human logic. Because virgins don't bear children. And how could this small, unborn baby inside a young girl actually be the Savior, be God himself? In this tiny paragraph, the angel overloads Joseph with beautiful promises that fulfill Israel's hope in the long-awaited Messiah. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, he says, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. What a, what a 180 that is for Joseph. What looked to be a child born in sin will actually be the very one who will save us from our sins. So is Joseph ready to believe this? To believe the miraculous, to let the unseen working of the Holy Spirit change the course of his entire life? Because the path that he's already chosen would certainly appear noble and righteous. Next, Matthew, as he does throughout his gospel, includes an Old Testament passage that shows how God is fulfilling his promises in and through Jesus. And here it's the prophet Isaiah's prophetic message that we heard read this morning. The promise of the virgin birth and the child who would be called God with us, Emmanuel. I think that Joseph and Mary at some point made the connection between Isaiah's promise and the miraculous story that they found themselves right in the middle of? And if so, what a great source of encouragement that must have been in the days and weeks that followed. So was Joseph's faith ready? Matthew tells us very simply in verse 24 and 25, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. So we don't know, because Matthew doesn't tell us, if Joseph 
struggled, or if he just woke up and obeyed. I would think that maybe he needed a cup of coffee and a hot shower just to process the dream, but we don't know. What we do know is that Joseph passed the test. He was ready. He was ready because of his humble character and a faith that believed in God's miraculous word over what he could see. And I wonder, would Joseph have ever known that he was ready? Would he actually ever have been ready if the Lord had not challenged and tested him first? This challenging season in Joseph's life proved his readiness, and it also trained him to hear and notice and trust God's voice. I can testify that it's been in the seasons of the most challenge where I have experienced the Lord growing my character and building my faith. So consider, as painful as these seasons can be, that the Lord is seeking to develop our character and grow our faith in those challenges and through those hard seasons. I love the passage from the letter to the Hebrews that says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. May we be trained by the Lord and made ready in the hard seasons. So we're not told much more about Joseph. Matthew skips several details that we get from the Gospel of Luke. So just stop and think how little of the nativity story we would have without Luke. How lame our Christmas pageants would be. There'd, there'd be no shepherds, no manger, no angelic choirs. Matthew also skips the grueling 100-mile journey for Joseph and Mary to the town of Bethlehem for the census. Luke also tells us, and we get to hear the many blessings that come on Christmas night. It doesn't say whether Joseph and Mary heard the angelic choirs, but it does refer to them as a multitude of heavenly hosts, so I think he heard something. And then, of course, there's the wonder in the eyes of those shepherds as they come and worship their son, Jesus. And then there were those beautiful and haunting prophecies of Simeon and Anna that followed just a few days later. And eventually, the Magi arrived with their strange and expensive gifts. What a season of wonder and joy this must have been for Joseph and Mary. What a blessing the Lord bestowed upon them for their faithfulness and their sacrifice. But then, danger came on the heels of the Magi's visit. King Herod, deeply paranoid and seeking to squelch any rebellion against his rule, sent soldiers to slaughter all the young boys in Bethlehem. Here's one last quote from Father Rudy about Herod. Whenever God acts in power, the evil and violence of a fallen world is never far behind. And so, an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph a second time. 
But this time, the message is extremely urgent. He tells Joseph to take Mary and Jesus and flee to Egypt immediately. And here is where we see how the Lord has prepared Joseph through his testing. Joseph doesn't hesitate. He recognizes the voice of the Lord and he's ready. He knows this dream to be a clear commandment from the Lord and he rises and leads his family to safety under the cover of night. And the last we hear of Joseph in Matthew's gospel is when the angel appears to him again in a dream and directs him to return to Israel, but not to Bethlehem, but rather to Nazareth, which becomes Jesus' childhood home. Joseph makes one more brief appearance in Luke's gospel when Jesus is 12 and his parents find him in the temple after they'd lost him for a few days, and he's talking to the teachers. And Luke says, all who heard him, Jesus, were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So the Bible doesn't say too much about Jesus' education. But at the age of 12, it's not hard to imagine that his earthly father had had a hand in his understanding of the scriptures. And then after this, Joseph disappears. He's not in the rest of the story. The most likely explanation is that he died before Jesus' earth, uh, earthly ministry began. Otherwise, we'd expect to see Joseph somewhere in the story, certainly at the cross next to Mary. But the silent witness of Joseph is a powerful one. With great humility and faith, he proved himself ready to say yes when God called upon him. There was certainly great joy along the way watching Jesus, the Messiah, grow into a young man. But there was also such incredible sacrifice, a laying down of his life for Mary and for Jesus. In the past month, I've often thought about Joseph, Joseph the father and Joseph the husband. I thought specifically about the nobility that Joseph brings to the foster and adoptive parent, but also to anyone who lays down their life for their family in profound and hidden ways. Those who say yes to the sacrifice the Lord calls them to. I've got an old friend from childhood, and he accepted Christ at a summer Bible camp when we were just kids. But honestly, he has had an incredibly difficult life. He never knew his birth father, and early in high school, his adopted father was in a very serious car accident and left with permanent brain damage. I've been amazed to watch him as a father and a husband. He discovered that his wife suffers from an absolutely extreme uh, version of postpartum depression. And the birth of both their children has been incredibly difficult. She would sometimes be hospitalized for weeks on end. And I would watch him manage the process of staying at home with a newborn and a little toddler, not even allowed to see or speak to his wife for weeks. And amidst this, he was so steady and calm for his family, amidst the challenge and the sacrifice. And I asked him, I said, 
how do you do this? And he told me, I feel like the Lord said to me, everything that's happened in your life has prepared you for this. Joseph did not receive a life of recognition or public honor. Neither did he receive a simple, quiet, peaceful life. What Joseph did receive through great sacrifice was a noble calling and the honor of being right in the center of God's plan of salvation. So this Christmas, may you marvel anew at the glory, the humility, and the beauty that we see in the birth of Jesus. May you be encouraged by these four individuals who said yes to God. And may the Lord, by his word and by his Holy Spirit living in you, make you ready to say yes to him, day by day, in all things, great and small. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.